And welcome to Share Truth Apply Scripture. I am Jordan Shambly, joined as always by Cedra Sarton. I'm glad you let me back. You are back. But Wesley <laughs> is not here today. Nope. He he could not be here with us today, which is kind of sad. But instead, we have in studio with us a very, very special guest, Alex McFarland. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here, Cedra <laughs> and Jordan. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. It's our honor. We go way back, don't we, Alex? We do. <laughs> you know, um, my goodness, Exploring the Word, which is heard on the American mm. Family Radio Network, is um, in its 10th or 11th year. Goodness gracious. And really. Cedra has been board op. She's mm-hmm. been call screener. And right many years ago, I mean, when we were in a studio across the street, mm-hmm. uh, how long have you been with the ministry, Cedra? Uh, a little over nine years. And I guess we worked together from right when you first began. Yeah, started as a call screener, and then I learned how to board op, and yeah. then I got put on as a producer, and so we got to work. And I've never met somebody as busy as you, I don't think. I think you <laughs> Well, I, I don't feel like I do that much, really. <laughs> but um, hey, I want let me give a, a word of uh, applause for you guys. Sure. I know you do a lot with Engage, and for those that may not know, Engage and Engage Magazine is just a wonderful outreach mm-hmm. that I know you all help lead. And every now and then, I'll get like a case of the magazine mm-hmm. and take with me on the road. And before COVID really kicked in, I was in Ohio to do a pretty big event, and I mean. Late teens through 20s, or through really early 30s, people eat this up. And, and I want to applaud you for doing what you do, but you do it with excellence. I mean, Engage Magazine could stand on the, the, the book rack alongside any national publication, and yours is thoroughly biblical, thoroughly Christian, very well laid out, and I just I, I commend you for doing an excellent work to reach this generation with the gospel. Well, I I can't tell you how much that means to hear from you, um, and that's so encouraging to us because that's really our heart. We want to reach out to exactly who you said the late teens to mid thirties. That's that's uh, what our heart is to reach out to um, and help them build build a biblical worldview. So thank you so much for that encouragement, really. And I, I mean, that energizes me to continue and uh, me and Cedra as well and, and Wesley to continue and to continue doing um, this work that we have before us. So um, and you, you're a part of that as well. You've you've been featured in our magazine before multiple times, actually, especially on our um, website. But in our latest magazine, the fall 2020 magazine that came out this year, you have an article on evangelism and how it's not always easy. It's it's not it's not a walk in the park. Sometimes, sometimes mm-hmm. this actually has a lot of confrontation to it, and you can um, be find yourself engaging with people who are not quite open to it. Yeah, and you know, evangelism is such a privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it really is, and it's for every believer. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are people in our lives and, and people that God allows us to intersect with that um, God wants to use us to bring them to faith in Jesus. And so uh, I would encourage people not, not to be uh, afraid or uptight about it, but just realize that in giving the Great Commission in right. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Mark 16, 15. Okay, Mark 16, 15 says, proclaim the gospel to every creature. Mm-hmm. To everybody, I love Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty, which um, some translations they'll say, "Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation." 
But the original language really says, as you are going. Mm. And evangelism and being a witness for Jesus really can be a natural thing as you go through day-to-day life. Kind of have your antenna up for people that have spiritual needs. And, uh, you know, I was at the grocery store, and I was talking to the clerk, and I said, um, I noticed they were working hard. And I said, hey, you know, thank you for working so hard during COVID, and mm-hmm. there's a barrier up, and I know you guys, the everybody's buying all the paper towels and paper products. <laughs> and, and I was, this particular grocery store, they were up way past closing time mm-hmm. trying to get the, the shelf stocked. And I said, thanks for being here for us. And she said, well, thank you. That really means a lot. This year's been hard. And I said, well, hey, I'll be praying for you. How can I pray? Well, it just naturally led itself into a spiritual conversation to share the gospel. And so my point is, I do think you have to be intentional Mm -hmm. about it, but look for those open doors to begin to tell people about Jesus because the, the open door in the conversation comes along way more than we might realize. Right. Absolutely. And and speaking of open doors, um, as we're recording this, this is the week before Christmas. And what an open door that is. I I know that because of COVID, because of people in isolation and quarantine and all that, uh, big family gatherings might not be as common as they used to be for most people anyway. Now, some people will be still getting together, at least in small groups and um, with, with, I'm I'm assuming, some uh, uh, cautions uh, taking place. But if, I mean, in my own experience, there are always those family members who um, sort of prickle at the mention of the gospel mm-hmm. or Jesus, and they always have the little sarcastic remark or, the, you know, even the, the glance, you know, and it can be very disheartening for me um, and for any believer to be in that situation and to see, okay, this person that I love is obviously very hostile to God. And that can weigh heavily on us. But at the same time, I don't know, like it, it, it can feel there, there, there can be that hesitancy to confront them over that mm-hmm. it, it, over Christmas dinner. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't want, you don't want to, to pull the rug out from under the, the, the occasion and make everyone have a bad day because right. you started an argument with your atheistic un- uncle, you know, yeah. surely there's a way to go about these conversations um, that is appropriate, uh, bo- both you know, in consideration to everyone else around you, but also because the situation is very real. They are a lost soul. Yeah. Well, you know, the more hostile a person is about God, the more private some of the initial interactions need to be. I mean, and, you know, there's value in fellowshipping and having a good time mm-hmm. together. Now, believe me, I'm not afraid to cut to the chase mm-hmm. and really talk to people. Right. But, you know, if you're sitting around the dinner table and you know something is going to trigger mm-hmm. somebody, you don't want to, you know, throw a bombshell into right. the middle <laughs> of, a, of an otherwise happy family gathering. But l- let, me, let me talk about, I do think, like, Christmas is one of those great opportunities mm-hmm. during the year that um, the whole wide world pretty much does pause a little mm-hmm. bit during Christmas. Yeah. People are a little bit more tender. People are nicer. People, I think, remember things. Um, part of the reason that our emotions are kind of tender and near the surface during Christmas is because there's happy memories. There's there's a little poignant 
sadness. This year is going to be especially that way mm-hmm. because I mean, there's a lot of folks that have been bereaved in in the year and some deaths. But um, let me say this in talking to people about the reality. I mean, Jesus did come into the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we set the calendar not by the life of Napoleon, mm-hmm. not by the fall of Rome. Right. Uh, we set the calendar by the entry onto the stage of human history of the one that the Bible calls the Son of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is real. Uh, guys, I want to tell you this, and I want to talk about evangelism. Um, I've, I've interviewed him many times on American Family Radio, but there's a scholar that I really revere named Gary Habermas, mm-hmm. uh, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S, Ph.D., Michigan State, even a very left-leaning liberal history magazine mm-hmm. calls Gary Habermas the the world expert on ancient evidence for the life of Christ. Wow. So I talked to Habermas about a week ago. We're going to interview him on uh, Friday, a couple of days from now. Anyway, he's working on a three-volume set on ancient evidence for the life of Christ, Mm -hmm. Jewish, Greek, and Roman sources that reference not only the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, he was crucified at Passover, rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. Now, he's written a lot. A lot of people have. I mean, I think of Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel and J. Warner Wallace. There's a lot of great defenders of the faith. Habermas is one scholar, but he's a great one. And Mm -hmm. believe me, he's got the academic credentials. Now, how much evidence for the life of Christ that he fulfilled the prophecies, he rose from the dead, his tomb is empty, he was seen alive, he really is the Son of God, 5,800 pages are going into this three-volume set. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because one of the things I often hear among 20-somethings mm-hmm. at universities, and it's, it's been my privilege to speak at about 200 universities, mm-hmm. And 20-somethings will say to me, well, there never was a person named Jesus. Jesus was a legend or a myth. Not all, but that's kind of of an urban legend that Mm -hmm. they're – all right, the preeminent scholar in the world who is a believer has 5,800 pages. I don't think there would be that much evidence about somebody who never did exist. Right. So – if you're interacting with somebody over Christmas mm-hmm. who's a skeptic, um, I don't know that you'll need to know this, but <laughs> you can talk about the historicity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let, let me say one thing, and then I want to throw back to you. Yes. Three ways Christmas can be an opportunity right. because of of gatherings, because of history, and because of people's emotions. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got maybe a concert at church, or maybe you've got a dinner a gathering where you can show love to somebody. So the season presents a lot of opportunities. Right, absolutely. But then you can talk about the history and the reality. I mean, Christmas, what does it mean? Well, God came into this world. Mm-hmm. But then I think maybe the biggest opportunity of all is to talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody says, hey, I don't even like Christmas because it reminds me of painful memories. Right. You know, that was the year my dad left us. You know, Christmas, that was when I'm lonely. Christmas just reminds me I just don't have much of anybody in this world. Well, could I tell you about somebody that's the friend that sticks closer than a brother? So so just let the Holy Spirit make you aware because there are these and many other places to uh, 
maybe seize the moment and sow a seed. Wow. Yeah, and you you were talking about apologetics there for a little bit um, uh, with that book, and you you're very um, involved with apologetics. You've you've done conferences and you've written things um, that are very apologetic in nature. Uh, that the, uh, Christmas is one of those times, like you were talking about, where those skeptics might arise, and they say, "Now wait a minute, <laughs> you know, um, you, you you're, you're really telling me that Jesus." Uh, they may say, oh, "Of course, he existed." I mean, they might they might have not an issue with that at all, but that he was born of a virgin, <laughs> and that there was a star to announce his birth. Um, now, in, in my in my opinion, and a little bit of my experience as well, that sometimes those objections are just sort of fronts mm-hmm. that are not the actual true objection that they have. Um, but it is oftentimes worth addressing those yeah. those things. What would you say to somebody, for instance, who had an issue with the virgin birth? Well, that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Um, Part of, you know, Isaiah seven fourteen in the Old Testament talks about there will be a sign to mm-hmm. the whole house of Israel that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that he wouldn't inherit the guilt of Adam and mm-hmm. Eve, and he had no sin nature. Now, people say, but, but that's an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Right. But let's go back. C.S. Lewis addressed this uh, quite a bit, actually, in a couple of his books, one of which was called Miracles, Mm -hmm. just Miracles. That was the title of one of C.S. Lewis's books. Another was Mere Christianity. But here's the thing. If God can create the human race, he could cause a virgin to carry a child. Right. Now, people will say, yeah, but a virginal virginal conception, really, virgin conception, that's a biological impossibility. Yeah, exactly. That's why it would be a sign to the whole house of Israel. Mm. So um, if God exists, he can act. Right. I often say this. If you can believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe any miracle in the Bible. Mm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm. So if he can make the solar system, the human race, he can pull off a virgin birth. Wow. Absolutely, and I can't help but think too when you when you think about all these things that are impossibilities that happened because they're miracles, you, you really see the wisdom of God unfolding in these things too. God, God does not do miracles just sort of haphazardly, you right. know, just because oh, he just did it on a whim. They're very intentional. You can yeah, tell yeah, very. throughout Scripture. Anytime Jesus did a miracle, it was for a reason. He didn't just do it just to entertain people or just because he felt He's not like running it. a sideshow. Right, absolutely. So, uh, you, like you said, the, the virgin birth was for a very specific reason. It was because G- Christ had to be the pure sacrifice. He had to be untouched by sin. Um, and then you can, and, and can kind of trace that throughout the gospel, that these things are very, very purposeful. So... Um, how does the the Christmas story, I guess, the the our understanding of the the incarnation, um, and and the life of Christ throughout his uh, throughout his his mortal human life, I would I would I I suppose you would say, um, how does that fit into the overall story of salvation? Why did he have to live exactly the way he lived? 
Oh, what a wonderful question. That's a brilliant question. Uh, and I agree with you, Cedra, that um, what God does is purposeful. Mm. And God is not haphazard. Um, everything is very intentional. And so Galatians 4.4 4, um, speaks, and it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, mm-hmm. to redeem those that were under the law. A uh, lot, lot of truth in there, but at, at just the right time. And a lot converged in the life of Jesus. Okay, Numbers 24 had said that a star would arise out of Jacob and a scepter would be in the hand. I mean, this star would signify someone with a scepter in his hand, Numbers 24, 17. Now, who holds a scepter? A king. Mm -hmm. Okay, Genesis 3, 15 said that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. I mean, no sooner had Adam and Eve fallen into sin in Genesis 3, disobeyed, sinned, but God said, hey, I'll make you a promise. Mm. I'm going to send you a Savior one day. All right. It says that he would be born of a virgin. Uh, Micah 5.2 said he would be born in Bethlehem. Mm. It says that he would be called out of Egypt. Now, folks, this is going to blow your mind. <laughs> this, uh, and I love to read the gospel and the history. Um, and I've, I've often thought to myself, man, Shakespeare uh, wishes he could have written a story <laughs> like this. Yeah. And P.S., this one's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 37 through 45, was Joseph. Mm. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt during a famine, right? Right. All right, Joseph is kind of a picture of Jesus. Now listen to this. Um, Joseph emerged alive from an intended grave. Jesus emerged alive from an intended grave. Mm -hmm. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave in his day, 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave in his day, 30 pieces of silver. Pharaoh said of Joseph, whatever he says, do it. Mary said of Jesus, whatever he says, do it. Now, this is amazing. All right. Joseph was in Egypt in a city called Heliopolis. All right, when Herod was going to kill all the babies, the Spirit of God, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, Holy Spirit warned Mary and Joseph, take the child, hide out in Egypt to, till I call you back to Nazareth. Mary and Joseph fled to Heliopolis in Egypt. I mean, isn't that amazing? Wow. I, I got to throw something else out there. In Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds abiding in the field. Now, the shepherds were raising lambs that would be killed in sacrifice. Mm. The angels appeared. The shepherds were very afraid. The angels said, Behold, uh, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. Shepherd's Field, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, we we actually went there six years ago. Mm. Shepherd's Field has another name, the Field of Boaz. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, now just hang on. This is this is rich. Right. In the Old Testament was a person named Ruth. Mm-hmm. Ruth was a widow. She was destitute. She had nobody, and so they were in this field gleaning. There was a policy whereby if you were poor, once the harvest of wheat was gotten, if there's anything left on the ground, you're free to take it. Gleaning wheat, right, from which you make bread. <laughs> 
There was also a policy that if you had a near kinsman, if you were an orphan or a widow, destitute, your near relative, if they would so choose, Mm. could adopt you or marry you, take up your cause, become a spouse to you, and you would be called redeemed. Boaz was called the kinsman redeemer, and he was willing to espouse himself to Ruth, who was lost. Ruth was gathering something that you make bread from. Now, in Shepherd's Field, where was announced the birth of the Good Shepherd, the shepherds heard about the Lamb of Mm -hmm. God. Amazing. That was the very same location centuries prior where Ruth, gathering wheat, really it was a picture of the one who would call himself the bread of life. Boaz comes along and says to Ruth, I'll be your Savior. Mm -hmm. That was the same place where it was announced the Savior. I mean, do you see how these things converge? Mm -hmm. And only, I would submit to you, only God Mm -hmm. could have woven together a narrative like this. And let me just say to everybody listening, the great story, God wants to be a part of your personal Mm -hmm. story. Now, why would God go to all these pains to craft this amazing thing? I think for one thing, to show us that Jesus is Jesus is the only person in history that could possibly have fulfilled all this stuff and been the man. Right. I mean, seriously, if it wasn't Jesus, who also, by the way, rose from the dead, I mean, one great scholar, Peter Kraft, he's an apologist, a brilliant, oh my goodness, brilliant guy, uh, head of the philosophy department at Boston College. He said... Um, if Jesus wasn't the man, um, then history is, uh, you know, makes no sense, yeah. and there is no way to know God, and history itself is is just um, mm. unsolvable, really. Right. But Jesus is the man. I mean, he fulfills the criteria. Right. Well, amazing. What a proof of the divine inspiration of the Bible that. I mean, that's just one example of many that of how, you know, one part of the Bible speaks to another part that were written by different people. And it was because it came from the same mind and the same spirit. Um, But you were just talking about Jesus being the man and that how that is like the crux of our salvation there. Um, And something that I think is is central to the story of Christmas is his incarnation, his his identifying with us. Um, But. A question that I would imagine arises uh, sometimes would be, why is he still a man? If Okay, so he's born as a man, he lives a, ma- a man's life, and he dies. Why, does he ra- why is it important that he continue into eternity being human? How, how, how is that relevant to us? Wow, that, that's a great, um, great question. Uh, it's relevant because um, one day we're going to be given a glorified body mm-hmm. like Christ. Now, I want to be clear: we we never turn into God. Right. You know, we are created. God is the Creator, um, so we don't become gods. Mm-hmm. Now, we do get a glorified body, which, by the way, is a very unique teaching in all of world religions. Mm-hmm. You know, religions have this idea that um, do enough good and maybe somehow your good will outweigh your bad. Right. 
But Christianity is unique in a lot of ways, one of which is the fact that um, God not only forgives our sin, saves our soul, he declares us righteous, and one day in heaven, personhood survives death. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is also very unique, and that's why in Christianity, I mean, the person you are Mm -hmm. matters. Not only your life and your knowledge and your, you know, you're going to be rewarded for faithful service. Let me say gender matters in the Christian scheme of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not like Eastern religions where you dissolve into this cosmic pond right. of, yeah. of illusion. No, personhood matters. You will be Jordan mm-hmm. forever, but you'll be a perfected, glorified Jordan. Right. Um, but in terms of Jesus, okay, the incarnation, and believe me, I know this is deep, okay, there's the eternal God. God put on a body. Right. Hebrews says sacrifice and offering would not do it, but a body mm. has been prepared. It was, it was not the subtraction of God's deity, but it was the addition of mm. perfect humanity. And yes, the second member of the Trinity, mm. God the Son, will be in that body forever. Now, it's a glorified body. But um, when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, in Luke 24, he appeared, and he appeared to Thomas, and he said, see the the wound in my side and the nail prints in his hand. Um, That's amazing. And why he'll be like that forever? Mm -hmm. Because uh, the plan of salvation that, I mean, to show that he loved the human race, the pains that God went through, to get us saved. I mean, I think for, if nothing else, it shows God's absolute mm-hmm. love for us. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think of what, what Wesley is my, my reference guy. I can't ever remember biblical <laughs> references, but there is a, there's a passage that, that Paul wrote where he says that we have a high priest who identifies with us yeah. in everything. And it's mind boggling to me and to uh, with the, the last minute we have to, oh, to talk about this, but it's mind-boggling to me to think about right now there is a man on the throne of heaven, you know, and that story begins in, in eternity past, but came to a head at Christmas for Amen. us. That's amazing. Well, you know, um, Charles Wesley wrote that great song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yes. There's a line yeah. in there, great line. And uh, every line of that song, by the way, has a biblical reference. But it says, veiled in flesh, Mm. the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. This is amazing. And it says that God loves you, my friends. Mm. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Mm. Jesus our Emmanuel. See, God is pleased to be a part of your life. In fact, he wants to be. Mm -hmm. And he loves us. Christmas is a reminder that each person, no matter who you are, Christmas is a reminder that you matter to God. Mm. Well, well, that's great. Thank you so much for being on this program with us today. It's been an an amazing pleasure, and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed this episode very much. So, uh, again, thank you for listening, and uh, until next week, continue to share truth and apply Scripture.